Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to turn to Luke chapter 6 and pick up at verse 17. Luke chapter 6, verse 17. grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place, and there was a large crowd of his disciples and a great throng of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were being cured. And all the people were trying to touch him, for power was coming from him and healing them all. And turning his gaze toward his disciples, he began to say, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would enlighten us by your Holy Spirit and the true understanding of your word. Give us grace to receive it in true fear and humility. May we be taught by your word to place our trust only in you and to serve and honor you as we ought so that we might glorify your holy name in all of our living and teach our neighbor by our good example, rendering to you the love and the obedience which faithful servants owe their masters and children their parents, since it has pleased you graciously to receive us among the number of your servants and children. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. Jesus, obviously in this we get a contrast. Jesus is is contrasting the blessed with, with woes or blessings with woes in this passage. He's... Um, pronouncing the way of blessing and the way of cursing. Blessed is the man who is poor, who is hungry, who is mournful, who is persecuted because of his faith in Jesus Christ. But cursed is the man who is rich, who is well-fed, who is filled with laughter, who is spoken well of by, um, by many and who has no mind for Jesus Christ or for life hereafter. And so in the midst of the sermon, Jesus also mentions the way their fathers had treated the prophets, right? So he's speaking to, he's speaking to his disciples, he's speaking to a crowd of Jews, and he's, he begins talking about their fathers. Um, and that would mean 
those who came before them, not literally um, perhaps their immediate fathers, but those who had come before them. He mentions the way their fathers had treated the prophets. As God had spoken through his prophets, their message was consistently hated and rejected. Right? Their fathers had hated what the prophets had to say all through the ages. Jesus is telling those who are currently persecuted to remember the way the prophets were treated for their faith. Those prophets were the faithful ones, and they were rejected and persecuted and hated. Verse 22, Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. Now let me give you a few examples of this so that it's a little more fresh in your mind. Think of Moses. Was he well spoken of by that generation he led through the wilderness? He was not. Right? Was he opposed and did they attempt to ostracize him? Yes. Of course, there, were, there are too many examples of this, but here's one. From Numbers 12, then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very humble. That's where that verse comes in the midst of this argument. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who is on the face of the earth. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and to Miriam, you three come out of the tent of meeting. So the three of them came out, and then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood in the doorway of the tent, and he called Aaron and Miriam. And when they had both come forward, he said, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him, I speak mouth to mouth. Even openly and not in dark sayings. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? So the anger of the Lord burned against them, and he departed. But when the cloud had withdrawn from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous, as white as snow. As Aaron turned toward Miriam, behold, she was leprous. Think of Elijah, another prophet hated by the fathers. Elijah, when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, do you remember what Ahab said to him? Is this you, you troubler of Israel? He said, Elijah said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you have followed the Baals, right? And then from there, that warfare between the prophets of Baal and the prophets of God goes on. Think of of a, a prophet named Micaiah, 2 Chronicles 18 king of Israel assembled the prophets, 400 men, and said to them, Shall we go against Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for God will give it into the hand of the king. 
But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not yet a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. For he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. He's Micaiah, son of Imlah. But Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, Bring quickly Micaiah, Imla's son. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting each on his throne, arrayed in their robes, and they were sitting at the threshing floor of the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets were prophesying before them. Zedekiah, the son of Chenina, made horns of iron for himself and said, Thus says the Lord, with these you shall gore the Arameans until they are consumed. All the prophets were prophesying thus, saying, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and succeed, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. Then the messenger who went to summon Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Behold, the words of the prophets are uniformly favorable to the king. So please, please, pretty please, Let your words be like one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what my God says, that I will speak. And when he came to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth-Gilead to battle or shall I refrain? And he said, Go up and succeed. For they will be given into your hand. Then the king said to him, How many times must I adjure you to speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? In other words, that was Micaiah being sarcastic. So he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each of them return to his house in peace. And then the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? And so after he then prophesies what's coming, then Zedekiah the son of Chenana came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, How did the Spirit of the Lord pass from me to speak to you? Micaiah said, Behold, you will see on that day when you enter an inner room to hide yourself. Then the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah, And return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, put this man in prison, and feed him sparingly with bread and water until I return safely. And Micaiah said, If you indeed return safely, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Listen, all you people. That is one of the one of the preeminent examples of the fathers hating the prophets. Fathers hating what the prophets have to say. And the false prophets being willing just to give the king what he wants to hear and not the words of the Lord. Think of Jeremiah. Now Shaphatiah, the son of Matan, and Gedaliah, the son of Pasher, and Jukal, the son of Shelemiah, and Pasher, the son of Melchijah, heard the words that Jeremiah was speaking to all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, 
He who stays in the city will die by the sword and by famine and by pestilence, but he who goes out to the Chaldeans will live and have his own life as booty and stay alive. Thus says the Lord, the city will certainly be given into the hand of the army of the king of Babylon and he will capture it. Then the officials said to the king, now let this man be put to death. Inasmuch as he is discouraging the men of war who are left in the city and all the people by speaking such words to them, for this man is not seeking the well-being of this people, but rather their harm. So King Zedekiah said, Behold, he is in your hands, for the king can do nothing against you. Then they took Jeremiah and cast him into the cistern of Milchijah, the king's son, which was in the court of the guardhouse. And they let Jeremiah down with ropes. Now in the cistern there was no water but only mud, and Jeremiah sank into the mud. Another example of the prophets loving, I mean the, the, the fathers loving the prophets. Shut him up and kill him. Think of John the Baptist. For when Herod had John arrested, he bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And although Herod wanted to put him to death, he feared the crowd because they regarded John as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Having been prompted by her mother, she said, give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. Although he was grieved, the king commanded it to be given because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. His disciples came and took away the body and buried it, and they went and reported to Jesus. Think of the glorious sermon preached by prophet Stephen, deacon Stephen, and then his death. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in hearts and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You were doing just as your fathers did. Remember, this is Stephen before the, the uh, Sanhedrin. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the laws ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, Stephen gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said that, he fell asleep. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And then finally, think of Jesus 
himself. And he said to them, What man is there among you who has a sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take it out, take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and it was restored to normal like the others, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. And then think of this parable of Jesus, Luke 20. On one of the days while he was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders confronted him. And they spoke saying to him, Tell us by what authority are you doing these things or who is the one who gave you this authority? Jesus answered and said to them, I will ask you a question and you tell me. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? They reasoned among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why did we not believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us to death. For they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey for a long time. At the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers so that they would give him some of the produce of the vineyard. But the vine growers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he proceeded to send another slave. And they beat him also and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he proceeded to send a third, and this one also they wounded and cast out. The owner, the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the vine growers saw him, they reasoned with one another, saying, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of that vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy these vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. When they heard it, they said, may it never be. But Jesus looked at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. Scribes and the chief priests tried to lay hands on him that very hour, and they feared the people, for they understood that he spoke this parable against them. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be righteous in order that they might catch him in some statement so that they could deliver him to the rule and the authority of the governor. So now what are we to make of that? Those who speak God's word dear brothers and sisters, should expect to be persecuted. We see it all through the Old Testament, those prophets called to speak what God told them to say, being persecuted, persecuted by the very people of God. Why have we forgotten this? It should come with the territory. Speak the word of God, expect a backlash. Why have we thought that we have become more sophisticated than Jesus or John the Baptist or Jeremiah or any of the prophets that came before us who obviously did not use the right approach with unbelievers because they did not embrace 
you know, his ethic and delight in his rhetoric. Do we think that this is only for the pastors and elders of churches and not for every Christian? Right? Do we think that only the professionals are out on the front line of witnessing for Jesus? And so they're the ones who should expect a significant backlash. Jesus, Jesus told us the following that we often forget. He said, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim on the housetops. Don't fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Christians have known a great deal of peace in this nation for a while, right? And that peace has led... That peace in this nation has led, as it did to Israel during the time of the judges, to the church loving the world. That's what peace has led to, right? And, and it will be persecution that will bring us back to depend upon God again. Strangely enough, we will find that friendship with the world was terrible because it was, as the Apostle John puts it, enmity with God. The evangelical game of friendship with the world is becoming increasingly untenable in our time. And that is a good thing. Blessings come not through friendship with the world, but through faith in the midst of suffering. Faith in the midst of suffering. Talk about homosexuality being an abomination. Anywhere. And know the blessings of God. Right? Talk about marriage being, being a creation ordinance instituted by God for one man and one woman only. Just, you know, maybe in the, the line to Walmart, the person in front or behind you is appointed for you to talk about creation ordinances about. And know God's blessings. Right? Talk about abortion as child sacrifice. And know God's blessings. Talk about submission of women to their husbands in marriage. And you'll know God's blessings. Talk about God as the creator of all that exists in a public school. And you'll know God's blessings. Why do we think fidelity to Jesus can be had without what he said it will require? Right? Why do we think being like Jesus will not be being like Jesus? Right? A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, rejected by men. Why do we think it's possible to live a godly life and not suffer persecution when Scripture says that all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted? 
Are we speaking God's word to the world? Are we speaking God's truth to the world? Our co-workers, our neighbors, our governing officials, our friends, our parents, our professors and teachers, our husbands, our wives, our newspaper editorial pages, right? Our senators, our congressmen. Are we speaking the word of God? Or are we suppressing his word for a whole host of reasons, the top of which is probably we just want to save face. We want to remain respectable and be a Christian. If that is what we are doing, and it is, who would deny it? We will not know the blessings of God that Jesus speaks of in Luke 6. We will not know the happiness that comes from having Jesus alone. Jesus only. Right? The happiness that comes from, from that, that singularity of encouraging relationships. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you I desire nothing on earth, said the psalmist. There's a theme of one of the psalms. Ours might be written this way. What need do I have of you in, even in heaven? And besides you I require much on earth. When Jesus, when Jesus is pronouncing curses, the woes in this passage, he also makes this statement, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. Right? Going back to those false prophets, the ones who only prophesied good for the king, right? they were spoken well of, man. They were, the, the king loved them. The false prophets, those who prophesied not God's word, but their own words, pleasant words, favorable words, Though false words were liked, they were praised, they were lauded, exalted. Think of the example I gave earlier, those words to the king, um, words of the king to Micaiah, right? Behold, the words of the prophets are uniformly favorable to the king, so please let your word be like one of them and speak favorably. The king had surrounded himself with sycophants, right? Yes, men, those who would only falsely prophesy what what was wanting to be heard, right? And that is a strong temptation for every one of us. The stakes aren't, you know, you're not the king of a nation. The stakes might be lower. They might be, they might have been this past week when you sat around your Thanksgiving table and somebody had the, had the joy of bringing up politics and you refuse to engage or you refuse to testify to what Jesus said about that topic because you just didn't want trouble. It's a strong temptation to surround ourselves with false prophecy, with flattering lips, with those who... who um, We only want to affirm, but also we surround ourselves with those who will only affirm us. Think about this. Some surround themselves with false prophets and some are false prophets. Some want the affirmation of godlessness and some desperately desire to be the one giving that godless affirmation. Some will descend to hell listening to the voice of false prophets. Right? Some will descend to hell speaking the words of false prophecy. 
Pharisees were both of these things. They loved praise, right? They loved respectful greetings in the marketplace. And they loved to teach not God's word, but the traditions of men. So what is your temptation when it comes to this? Is it to listen to the words of flatterers and those who would lead you away from God and His Word? Or are you the one who practices such techniques? You're a professional flatterer. And you use it to manipulate people away from God and His Word. Do you want to be well spoken of? Right? I mean, who doesn't want to be well spoken of? Who doesn't want to have a, a sterling reputation with everybody? But we cannot forget what Jesus says here. Do you want to be well spoken of or have you learned the power of, the, the power of only speaking well of others? That is how you will have people speak well of you is to only and ever speak well of others and especially flatter them. And flattery is lying, unless you have forgotten it. Flattery is lying to people in order to falsely assure them of something. The goal is to be those who speak their praise from God alone and who resist the temptation to pride and flattery. The opportunities to know the blessing of God through suffering will be increasing in our nation in the coming years. Right? We see Christian professors being condemned on college campuses. We see Christian entrepreneurs that are unable to work in their field because they will not affirm certain sinful lifestyles. We see Christian witness leading to more and more consequences for our jobs, for our finances, for child rearing, for our comfort, and on and on. But this is nothing new for Christians. Jesus taught us about it. This has been the message that Jesus gave his church 2,000 years ago and said, get ready, it's going to be like this. We've seen, we've seen God's children ripped apart for their faith through the ages. Right? We've read about martyr after martyr. What we haven't properly stopped to consider, and I'm just repeating what I said before, that such persecution, such suffering, such a glorious witness has only led to the strength of the church through the ages. Whatever the world had up its sleeves for the persecution of the church has only led to its strength. Here we are worshiping Jesus. There are 500 million Christians in China. More than our entire population of our nation. Look what the persecution has accomplished there. Just a bunch of joy in a bunch of churches. All of Christianity through all of time will be, as someone put it, victory cleverly disguised as defeat. That's what the cross was. That's what the church will be. It's victory, cleverly disguised in continuous defeat. You'll have ample opportunities to suffer for your faith during the holidays. Yay. Right? 
Just keep the holidays about the sinfulness of mankind and the grace of Jesus Christ. And you'll be persecuted. Right? And you'll, you'll know just what it felt like to be a prophet when you invite over your, your homosexual neighbors for a dinner around your table and you preach the gospel. You'll know the, the heat of persecution, but you will also know the blessing of God. So be a prophet during Christmas. Be a prophet during Advent. Speak of Jesus and embrace suffering for his name. And you'll in the end find that it is wonderful to be in a place where it seems like everything other than Jesus is falling apart around you. Right? Let's, let's stop loving peace and be incendiary. Right? Right? You know what incendiary means? Where's David? He needs to Google it. Set fires, right? Like all the faithful Christians who preceded us. It's very simple. Just stop hiding your faith. Just stop hiding your faith. Your peace, the peace of the whole earth will come when Jesus returns and the new Jerusalem descends and he slaughters the nation with the sword protruding from his mouth. That's when peace will come. Until then, war. Warfare. Then and only then will you and I have peace. And it will not just be peace. It will be eternal peace. It will be an eternal Sabbath. It will be... um, You won't have to worry that in next month the weather's going to get really bad. And the crops are going to fail. It's not going to be like that when we're in the presence of the Lord. It'll be eternal peace, eternal provision, perfect provision, perfect peace. And so Jesus said, blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil. For the sake of the Son of Man, be glad in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. Amen.